But just before we kind of dive in, just kind of take a temperature pulse of this room right now. All right, now we're going to do something all together, okay? Um, this, is, this was a tradition, this is what the early church would did, were, uh, did often, because they didn't have the Bible as we have it now. They would get letters, sometimes they would get even portions of letters. They would memorize those, but then when they got together, they may or may not have actual scripture with them, but what they would do is they would confess their common belief in who God is together. And so that's what we're going to do this morning to kind of start off our time. And uh, this is a little uh, community confession. Um, the next slide. That'd be great. Powerful proclamation. Awesome. That's great. Next one. There we go. All right. So uh, this is who God is from A to Z. And this does not encapsulate all who God is. But I just want us to confess this together this morning. I'll try to keep my pace. But can you all read that? Might be small text for some, but um, let's read all this. Let's read this together um, and and I'll lead us. So, Father, you are the God who is approachable. You build us up and comfort us. You are our defending, encouraging God. You are faithful and gracious. You are the healer and the God of the impossible. In you is fullness of joy, full of kindness and love. You are a mighty God. You never fail us. You open our eyes and perfect our faith. You quiet our heart, redeem our circumstances, and shepherd our lives. Teach us like only you can. For you are the God of understanding. Victorious God, help us learn your ways. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Thank you for being zealous for us. Amen. Amen. Now, take a pulse of the room now. Feel a little different? There's something, there's, there's something, and this is what we're going to talk about today. There's something about us confessing out of our mouth, not just thinking a thought but actually confessing out of our mouth, there is spiritual power that you don't have, don't re- we don't realize that we have. Uh, so we're going to get into that. Um, this is the second message, right? You started the series last week. Uh, last week, Jonathan talked about how the battle begins really in between our ears. Our battle begins in our thought life. One of the core scriptures he used last week was Romans 12, 2. It says this, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. How many of you want to know what God's will is for your life? Yes! Amen! That's That's what I want to know. That's the big mystery question of life. Is there purpose to it? And if so, what is it? And here... Paul, the apostle, writes to us, don't copy the behaviors, but change the way you think. We have to train our mind. You and I, we develop a belief system through sponging. We develop our belief systems through popular culture, through our parents, or parent, or lack of parents, the person that was in our home that raised us, the, the people coming in and out of our home that were around, a lot of times had impact on us, certain teachers, As we grow up, we develop a certain belief system, 
And a lot of times those are founded on something that's so different than God, God, who God is and His Word to our life. And we grow up with years believing that uh, seeing God a certain way, seeing yourself a certain way, seeing your circumstances a certain way, seeing your future a certain way. But how many of you know that when God comes into your life and pursues you and you awake, awaken to that there is a God, that not only is there a God, but there's this Jesus who He sent His Son to die on a cross so I could have a relationship with Him, that we could actually have a relationship with Him and not get sucked down into just normal dead religion, but actually be turned on to a live relationship with the God of all creation. Man, can you, I mean, sometimes we get so familiar with that truth that it's like, do, do we understand how impactful, how amazing that that truth actually is? The God, of the, the God that created everything that you see knows you, loves you, and as a little kicker, he actually likes you. <laughs> it's true, because sometimes we think, God's obligated to love me. God, we, sometimes we think, okay, God's unconditional love, that means there's nothing that I could do that would make him love me any less or any more. But yet still, when we look in the mirror, there's a voice that stares back or that whispers back at us, you're not lovable. Because I know what you've done. I know what you've said. But here's this God that, that we find in the scriptures that's pursuing you and I every day. But we're in a battle, and it's, it's a battle for us to walk in that. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to actually walk out in it in our life. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5, this is the Apostle Paul again. He's writing to the Corinthian church. And he says this, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You and I, if we're to actually engage in this warfare in between our ears, you and I actually have to engage. We have to take control. As Paul says, we have to take control of our thoughts. That's an action step. You know, sometimes we think that if we just listen to the, certain, listen to the right things, that we'll eventually get into right placement. But I would say that that's only part of the equation. There actually has to be an, an active engagement on our end to say, God, I want what your word says, and I'm going to apply it to my life. So here Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not like how everybody else wages war. He's actually saying, use God's word to tear down the arguments, the philosophies, the ideologies and culture. If you were to actually take God's word, God's word's more powerful than any of that, but you actually have to know what kind of culture you're living in. How many of you know God wants you engaged in culture, not separate from culture? Okay, I'll say that again. God wants you engaged in culture, not separated from culture. And so he empowers us with this Holy Spirit not to go out into, you know, remote territory by ourselves just to have our individual relationship with God. But he's actually training you to be a powerful minister in the spheres of influence God's placed you. Because how many of you know, there's, there's people that you're around every week that will never come to church, ever. They'll never. Because the 
people that they've grown up knowing as Christians that were highly judgmental or for whatever reasons. There's, there's reasons replete with why people would never, but you're there. You're the light in the darkness that God is sending. And so this isn't just a thing to just come and get encouraged, which it is a great place too. But it's for you to get swept up and caught up into God's purpose in your life so that when you engage in the world that God has strategically placed you in, you're around people that nobody else is around. But we have to see that the goal that Paul says to the, in the Ephesians says that the goal of the church is to train and equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's you guys. So how do we get equipped? Like Jonathan said last week, man, it begins right in between here. It's tearing down thoughts, taking captive ideologies. But how do we do that? I would submit with God's Word. You ever remember that story where Jesus, he's beginning his ministry, and uh, he goes to John the Baptist, and he gets baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and uh, he comes up, and God's voice it says, this is my son with him, I'm fully pleased. And the dove descends, and, Paul, and, and John sees this all, and he says, this is one un, that I'm unfit to wash his feet. And right after then, Jesus goes and says, the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness. You can find this in Matthew 4, 4. It says, he led Jesus out into the wilderness. You remember that story where... Jesus is tempted by the enemy in the desert. Do you remember what Jesus' responses were? Jesus' responses in him fighting the enemy and the enemy's voice in his life, all he does, not all he does, but what he does is he quotes Deuteronomy. He takes God's word. This is God's son himself. Is How does he fight the enemy? He takes three scriptures from Deuteronomy as the, as the enemy is tempting him. He actually uses direct quotation about God's word to fight the enemy in his life. If Jesus is actually using God's word to fight the enemy in his life, how much more do you and I actually have to use God's word to fight the enemy in our life? God's word's amazing. It affects uh, 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 Proverbs 23, 7 says this, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a person thinks in their heart, so are they. It affects everything. How you see God, yourself, circumstances, and your future, based upon God's word, it affects everything. It affects your relationships. Because how you enter a relationship... You know, a lot of times how people see themselves or how they see themselves engaging. There was one time um, I was, when I was in college in uh, 1997, I went to a conference in um, Nashville. And I began serving the Lord a year and a half before then. And so this was kind of like my first conference. Um, and you know how Christians are with their conferences, Right. Um, so anyway, so this got touted as like the conference you have to go to in order to experience God, you know, that kind of like overhyped kind of stuff. So I was like, oh man, I better be there. So 
So uh, we, uh, me and two other people hit a road, uh, took a road trip, um, and uh, we went to Nashville. And it was a conference for like college athletes and professional athletes. And, um, and so there was, there was this, just this whole big church filled with college athletes and professional athletes. And here am I, you know. So I get back from the conference, long story short, I get back from the conference, my pastor at the time, still is, uh, Pastor John McDermott and Lawrence. He goes, man, how's that conference? And I go, man, I, I don't know. It was okay. It was okay. He goes, who'd you meet? I go, I, I didn't meet anybody. He goes, what? You didn't meet anybody? You were there the whole weekend? I'm like, no, I, I didn't meet anybody. Now, I had, I had had numerous leadership uh, roles in my life, but I go to this conference and I'm just learning what it means to like walk with God. And I get in this room full of people that the world would say, man, they have it together. And my confidence just went under the floor. So he said, you know what? After, we're, we're again processing this conference. And he goes, you know what I want you to do? So I want you to take this little confession sheet. And we actually have, we have them here at the end. So you can grab one yourself before you leave. He says, I want you to take this confession sheet, and I want you to read it out loud. Take a section or two every day, and I want you to say it out loud in your bedroom every day for 30 days. That was like my doctoral prescription from, you know, my pastor as to like, how do you walk in greater confidence? How do you walk in the calling that God has made you for? And I took that little confession sheet, and I, for 30 days, I woke up every morning, and I, and I took a section of that, and I began proclaiming God's word. And in 30 days, I felt like a different person. I felt like God had taken his word and he implanted it down in my heart. It wasn't just this, just, you know, sometimes messages can be like, you know, our, our social media feed. You know, it's like we hear a message and we scroll up. We hear something, we watch a cool little video, we scroll up. We read a little devotional. Oh man, that was cool. We scroll up and we move on in life, but yet we never go deep enough for God to actually do a deep work in our heart. The word is a treasure. Jeremiah 17, 7 says this, But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months or drought. Their leaves stay green and they go right on producing delicious fruit. The human heart, and this is interesting, right after this, it's like, man, this is, this is what God can do through your life. Woo! Man, I'm excited. Wow, man, are you kidding me? Delicious fruit, watered all the time, man, I feel good. But then he goes on and says, the human heart is most deceitful and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? I'm like, whoa, there's a bookend to that little scripture. What are you talking about? The human heart is most deceitful and desperately wicked. And the truth is, it is. It is. And you know it is. Because you have used your brain and heart to justify a lot of things. We all have. We justify certain things. We play the mental gymnastics where we think, well, we're not really lying. We're white lying. You know, it's like, no, bro, that's just lying, man. I mean, you, no matter what color it is, man, that's lying. But, um, which we won't even go down that road. Why, why is it white? Why does it have to be a white line? Anyway, um, so, uh, so anyway, 
Okay, so here's Jeremiah, and he equates to, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like, and he goes on and ex- it explains like this tree analogy. Where it's just like, here's this tree, it's planted along a riverbank, its roots go down in the water and is constantly in the water. So if Jeremiah is saying that our relationship with God, what's the water? It's actually God's word. The more our roots are constantly, consistently in God's word, here's God's promise to your life. That no matter what is going on, no matter what storm is surrounding your life, here's this tree that's constantly green, constantly getting nourished, and producing delicious fruit. Now I'll tell you, that's a good life for me. That's a fantastic life. That we can partner with God to see delicious fruit of blessing flow out of our life so that everything and everyone we're around begins to flourish. What's the nature of the kingdom of God is that no matter, that everything that you touch flourishes. Psalm 119 says, I rejoice in your word. This is David writing. It says, I rejoice in your word like one who finds great treasure. How can a young person stay pure? It's there, the, these scriptures aren't up here. If you just take Psalm 119, I'm going to read about six scriptures from Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm in, in, the, in the Bible. Psalm 119. But the whole theme, a lot of the whole theme is God's word. He goes on and says, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word and following your ways. Verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What does that look like? I have hidden your word. You, um, so my dad grew up uh, in Clay Center, Kansas. My mom grew up in Junction City, Kansas. And uh, my dad uh, bought into a ranch. Uh, he was in Colorado. And a buddy of his that uh, uh, I went to dental school with, and uh, they, they bought a ranch. And so they bought... Uh, certain heads of cattle, and so certain weekends we'd go up there and we'd bale hay and do irrigation, do a lot of do a lot of farm and man stuff. You know, it was a rite of passage for me. But um, uh, I don't know why I'm telling that whole story. Oh, chewing the cud. So, so uh, you know, a cow when a cow eats, when a cow eats, and everybody at K State should know this. When a cow when a cow eats. Uh, it chews its own cud. So what it, it eats some hay, it swallows it, brings it back up, and rechews it. So glad we're telling this story, not over lunch, but right now. So, um, so he, just, he just, he swallows it, brings it back up, chews it some more, swallows it, chews it back. And it's just, it, he's just marinating in that, in that mm, deliciousness. Anyway, but just like that is God's word, you know, like just like that. No, but it's taking God's word, ingesting it in our spirit, so that it actually begins to work, and we meditate on it, and we look at it from different ends. It's like, man, God's word is so powerful. It's so good. All right, moving on. The word is a destiny shaper. The world, the word trains us to be who we've called, to, who've been, who we've been called to be. Here's the truth. It's what we do in private. That prepares us for what God wants to do in us in public. What we do in private, what you do in private, it's God's training ground for you to actually do something in public. But how many of you, how many of you seen people throw themselves into public life and their character is nothing? And they go, just little things trip them up and their whole life is bankrupt. 
because they didn't work on the inner life. They didn't go low, lay low, work on this before they began to spout off a lot of ideas out in the public world. There is a muscle in the human body that can cause more heartache, more pain, more mistrust, more anger than all the other muscles put together. It is so powerful that it has caused betrayals, murders, wars, and riots. It's a factor in the destruction of friendships, relationships, and families, and it's a major factor in uh, most separations and divorces. That muscle that I'm talking about is the human tongue. But that same muscle can bring healing. It can bring peace and comfort in people's lives. It is so powerful that if rightly used, can change the future, ignite revolution, and transform the human heart. The power of the human tongue. James says this, Jonathan referenced it earlier. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Wow. goes on and says, We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship. Turn wherever the pilot chooses it to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. You know, when we, when we speak out of our mouth, a lot of times it's like a, I imagine it kind of being a basket full of feathers in the wind. Once you begin saying something, you never know where those ideas go. You never know how those ideas have positive or negative impact on those around you. So you begin, you throw, you throw some stuff out and then the wind takes it. Do you ever start a rumor or say something bad or... Uh, re-communicate a rumor that you didn't know was a rumor at the time, but then it comes back and said, hey, you're the one that helped, helped uh, keep that rumor going alive. And you're like, man, I wish I could take that back. I wish I could have take back what I have said. But it would just be as difficult going, you know, and trying to rally up all those feathers in the wind. <laughs> be almost impossible. But that's how powerful our mouth is. How did God create the whole universe? How did God create? If you and I are made in his image, how did God create the whole universe? In Genesis, Genesis 1, it says this. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God, what? Said. It's interesting. Didn't say he thought. Didn't say he motioned. Not that God really has a body, but it says he spoke. Let there be light, and there was light. You talk to any astrophysicist, and the universe is expanding. How fast is the universe expanding at the speed of light? The universe actually is expanding at the speed of light, because when God said, let there be light, the universe began expanding. Using that same word through your life will transform your life. But it's a tool that's got to be used. My wife's father, number one gift for Christmas is tools. So if you need to get him a gift for anything, it's tools. Get him tools. 
But that guy, uh, his name's Bob. Bob has seriously like seven of each kind of tool that's out there because that's been his reputation for 40 years, and so everybody gives him tools. But he's over-tooled. He is literally over-tooled. He still has tools still in the packages from 1970 that whenever me and my wife and my family go visit him, he's like, here, take these tools. I'm like, man, this tool was made before I was born. Like, anyway, I'm, but the good thing is, is they're usually good tools. <laughs> made that long ago. They were actually really good tools. But I think a lot of times Christians are over-tooled. We think we need more tools on our belt because we feel insecure. We feel non-competent. And so we, ta- we, we kind of have these undeveloped tools on our belt, but they're on our belt. We kind of know that they're there, but we're constantly seeking more tools. But if we were to just take a time out and actually analyze what's actually on our tool belt, I think God wants to encourage us to like deepen the tools that are already on your belt. This isn't something new. It's actually applying something that you already know. So we're going to do that all together. Last verse, and then we're going to stand up and confess something all together. And I really want to say this. This actually, and it's taking this tool and applying it to your life. So here's my charge, and here's the homework that you have. I, every once in a while, I like homework. Not all the time, but every once in a while. I encourage you. There's a confession sheet. There's a copy for every, I think, everybody over there. Take one. Bring it home. Tonight or tomorrow morning, wake up and read a section and see what God begins to do in your life. And he'll begin to reorder your thought life to where you start seeing people differently. So you begin seeing your coworker that you've always been judgmental to and always be like, man, I, every time I get around this person, the spidey sense kind of goes off and I, everything I want to do is just leave the room. But as you begin to confess God's word and start seeing people as God sees people, you'll begin to enter into a room, and the person that I've hated the entire time, I begin to see that actually God's put a treasure inside that person, and I'm beginning to see that treasure. Not their deficiencies, I'm beginning to see the thing that God made them for in the first place. So, Proverbs 18.21 says this, Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and that is absolutely true. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Is the greatest lie. In childhood, it really is. Because sometimes I'd much rather get punched than get insulted. Because it has a lot more damaging, long-term effect on our lives. The power of our words. Use this tool the way God made that tool to be used. Amen? So we're going to stand up and we're going to confess something together. Now, this one's a little different. I'm going to read it, and you can uh, you, uh, reply back, all right? So it's going to be a little uh, like the Army, a little drill sergeant, you know? So here we go. And there's uh, one, two, three, four little sections, all right? So I'm going to give you a little time to at least read the first one, just so that we can all be on the same page, because I only want you to confess what you agree. So if I say something that you don't agree, you're under no obligation to actually utter it out of your mouth. Because I want to also teach you that what comes out of your mouth needs to be intentional. Okay? So, with that, I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. Ooh, that was good. Nice. You guys, whatever, the Bluemont, Bluemont Hotel Coffee did it right. All right. Let's, all right. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. 
I'm deeply loved. Nothing is impossible for me. Because the King lives in me. And I'm in the kingdom. God made me powerful and has abundant life planned for me. Oh, you feel you starting to feel it? Come on, let's get loose in the spirit. Let's do this. And then you guys are released. So here we go. The joy of the Lord, the of the Lord is, my strength. is my strength. I'm fun to be around. I'm fun to be around. I, bless I bless people. You would like to be my friend. You would like to be my friend. Because I love everyone. Even my enemies. Because I love God. Therefore, I'll thrive. That's a fact, Jack. Anyway, be, well, no, you don't have to repeat that. That's just sidebar commentary, all right? Everybody, put your thinking caps on and let's keep going. All right. Because of his grace in my life, it's normal for, for me to thrive. I'm not just common. I'm not just normal. But I want to be a normal Christian. That walks in power, power. is full of peace, peace. and full of joy. joy. I will build my life life on God's thoughts and ways. ways. I reject lies lies that don't line up up with the truth of God. God. I will change my thoughts, thoughts. and He will change my life. life. In Jesus' name, name. that's who I am. That's what I'm going to do. Amen. 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 Let me pray for us. Keep standing. Lord, I just thank you, God, for our time this morning. God, that we would truly see the power of your word that can transform the trajectory of not only our life, but the lives that we get to be around. God, help us be the church this week to be a blessing to others. And God, help us see, help us see through the knowledge of your word, through the lenses of your word, the opportunities that you've placed in front of us and the pleasure of people that we get to be around to demonstrate the love of God and the life of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.